Welcome to Crime Time with Maggie Sten. What you're going to be listening to is a series of episodes called The Times Aren't Changing, They Have Changed. With me today is Daily Telegraph crime editor Mark Morrie, who I have a lot of questions for. Welcome back, Mark. We left off in the 80s and we left off where the hierarchy of crime were the safe crackers and the bank robbers. And then came drugs, which changed the face of crime and it changed all the criminal legislation. So now everything seems to be based around drugs. Would you agree with that? Without doubt, without doubt. And uh, the 90s were really just marked by a heroin. And I think something we also didn't see, Asian crime. Yeah. And that that was the shifting. You know, before that, we had our guys who of we... Of course, because it, we had a white Australia policy. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then we had the, the the rise of the the 5T gang, yeah. particularly in Cabramatta, you know, the Smack you know, Express. Do you know what the 5T stand, stood for? Yeah, I did. But can, let yeah, me try and yes. remember it because there's an excellent it's beautiful. Book. There's a couple. Yeah, the, the, but there's an excellent one that has just come out, the name of which escapes me, and it's written through the eyes of a young Vietnamese girl. It is brilliant. And it begins with her brother being murdered in the Lucky Something Cafe in Cabramatta. And it's it's excellent. She won a prize for it. But I think it stands for Love, money, it ends with suicide. Right, that's exactly right. Deb Wallace, yeah. who worked out there, um, told me tales of Cabramatta that Which were would, amazing. Yeah. It's, one of, it's one of the untold pieces of our criminal history that really, we don't know how vicious those gangs were. No, and what we they would also, put these they would chop these bikies to bits. But what we yes, and what we also don't know, which I found out reading this book, is because I thought our oh, five T gang okay is just a gang of criminals. It's not. It's really, really damaged first or second generation refugees. I'm sure if you delve, the same thing can be said for the Chinese, for the Koreans, well, the for the circle, Italians. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because this 5T, this is not just kids going wrong. This is kids knowing that they're going to die. They actually would, that's what they, they knew. Yes. Their life, so Treman Tran and then Madonna, all these guys who were in, the, in these gangs. I mean, I think Treman Tran, by the time he was 16, was, had, had been uh, involved in two murders. Yeah. He was charged with carrying a sawn-off shotgun at 12. That's when most kids got dragged. Exactly. But yeah. that was their life. Yeah. And he was dead by 20. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, they, they're phenomenal. That, that whole era around Cabramatta, there is something that hasn't really been explored because of, and we never covered it in the media. I know you'd love to have a go at the media, to be really honest, because we were racist. Yeah. Um, these were, who cares about Asians? That's right. Yeah. So we didn't write about them. And they, the, the murders that were going on out there, the, the, I mean, let's face it, they, the first real proper political assassination was Newman. Was John Newman. Who was so racist, wasn't funny. And, but anti drugs. Well, let's face it, he was knocked off by, by Fong No. And uh, I hate to say this is a, a bit of a funny story about the shooting of, of John Newman. 
the coroner at the time, he was on the scene because it was a massive, I remember I was working that night, huge story. He actually asked Deb Wallace to come out and have a look and said, um, what do you think? You know, he's been shot. He, he said, she said, I hate to say this, but I think it's probably Asians involved. And he said, why? She said, see, look at all the bullets that are sprayed everywhere. They're not very good shots. They're fantastic <laughs> with machetes. Yeah. But, um, and she honestly said, she said, uh, I'm being really honest, that it, uh, a big professional hit, they wouldn't have sprayed the bullets everywhere. So, and that was John, but that also showed you how serious. Also in the 90s, I remember I went to, I got it, um, I went over to New York and worked on the New York Post as like a foot soldier. Yeah. And you could see these Americans again. So uh it must be pretty fascinating doing crime here in New York. And I went, oh, yeah, we have a bit in Australia. Oh, yeah. And then I rattled off the biking massacre. Mm. Mick Drury was a good mate of mine that uh, nearly got killed. I said an undercover cop being shot at probably by another cool. another policeman. Um, I talked about the, the execution of an MP out the front of his house, mm. politician. Yeah. Um, I said then, you know, I talked about um, the Port Arthur massacre. I said, 36 dead. They go, ah, you do have some crime down there, don't you? And I went, yeah, mate. Well, yeah, we do. You know, it was, um, and we don't realise it. No. We don't realise that, you know, okay, we mightn't be Rio and that, but Sydney's got this massive underbelly of crime that just keeps evolving and uh, I find fascinating. But I guess if we could, just going back to Cabramatta, I guess if you, and I think the same, unfortunately, applies to the Afghans, applies to the Syrians, applies to the Lebanese that came here in the 70s and the 80s. If all, if you grow up and all you know is war and bullets and bombs, life's cheap. And also there's an emerging problem now with the Sudanese. Yes, same Similar thing. thing. And they also come from a place where they see, well, that guy's got a car, I'm just going to take it. You yeah. know what I mean? They they don't have the structure or they don't have, they haven't been brought up with our laws. But I, I I think the Lebanese, it's a little bit different that the second generation, and some of the guys you talk about, a guy like Michael Kanar, mm. who, you know, let's face it, was a maniac. He he wasn't war-torn. Most, a lot of these second generation, none of them are war-torn. Hang on. Let me disagree with you. <laughs> Let me disagree with you. Um, being a first-generation migrant child from Holocaust parents, I certainly wasn't war-torn, but it goes down to the next generation. And it's exactly the same with when I read this Vietnamese book. They're going through, they're going through exactly the same thing. Michael Canaan. I did the very first case Michael Canaan ever had. Big and fat now, apparently. Well, anyway. Michael Canaan was actually doing criminology. Again, another person who yeah, apparently was incredibly bright. bright. Quite bright. He was Danny Karem's cousin. I don't know if a lot of people know that. And he started off working for Danny. DK's voice. Yes. And then I acted for Danny too. And then he just got, I acted for all of them. And then he just got two big freeze boots and. That's right. Put drugs and ego together. It's not a good look. And that's what's happening now. And a chip on your shoulder from not growing up in Vaucluse, which again, they all have. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's 
an accident that when a lot of these people seem to make money, they use their ill-gotten gains to build a palace, which is either in the best suburb in the Shire or a suburb in the eastern suburbs or somewhere in North Sydney. No, but there are quite a few now I'm seeing who were huge mansions in Denham Court. Yes, um, but and again, still, Denham, but, but Denham Court's the Vaucluse of Cabinet yeah. Town. Well, I think what we're finding now... John Marsden certainly thought That's it right, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, who got Ivan Malad off. He's yeah. got a bit to answer for, old John. But anyway, um, what you do see now is these guys with lots of money, particularly part of the Alamedine crew, who have millions of dollars, they still have homes and the Hamseys in, in the in Marylands and in the West. They've got units at Barangaroo. That's where they keep all their mistresses. Yes. They have they have apartments at Piermont, mm. Waterfront. So you're right. Well, they, they now live in a double life. Yes, yeah. So they kind of wander around the streets of Marylands yeah. where they recruit all the young guys to go and deal their drug dealing. They're, and then they come in and they live the high life. They're very sophisticated. They go to the best restaurants and... That and then they go out west and pretend that they're part of the the Middle Eastern community in Southwest Sydney. Yeah. And then they come in here and they're yeah, high the, class hookers and and caviar all the way. Exactly. It's very interesting you say that because prior to the Second World War, Beirut, Beirut was known as the Paris. Mm, that's right. Yeah. The Paris of the East or West or whatever you call it, um, and the rich Lebanese all spoke French, they all had mistresses and had wives and they led, they led exactly those lives. No, I missed out on all that. Well, no. but, yet the, <laughs> but yet the ones that came out here were the ones that came as refugees. But they were the ones that were looking to work and, and it's different. So, But then second generation chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. It was like in their den. Anyway, it's, it's fascinating with sociology, with it is. what we're seeing now, you know. All right, so 90s was... All about drugs. It was all about drugs, but... And but, the emergence of ethnic crime. Would you agree with that? No, I think ethnic crime started with, with you know, we had the Italians. Yeah. Um, then we had... The Italians were very big in the 70s, um, running all sorts of things. Then we had we had the white and right guys of the 80s, of your Barry McCanns, Nettie Smiths, mm. stuff like that. Then we had the Asian crime wave. Yeah. Um, and then, then after th- that, then we had Middle East, and that started in the late nineties. And I mean, that was changed when Sam Ibrahim mm-hmm. joined the bikey, and he revolutionised the bikey world. That then became full of very serious Middle Eastern gangsters, and that changed the bikey. He's such a serious gangster that he shot himself in the foot twice, right. <laughs> twice, not once but twice. I know. Um, <laughs> As I said, that, I mean, in the 90s, I mean, I did that stint in, in New York, but, and I know I was, wasn't covering crime so much, but I do remember being sent down for Port Arthur Massacre. So, and I came back and I did have this very interesting group of people I drank with at a, at, uh, at a 24 hour pub. And I came back and they were lovely guys, but shady. Mm. And I remember saying, talking to them and, I said, where have you been? I said, I've been down in Port Arthur for a week or two. What year was that again? That was 96. And, um, so it I was sent- that long ago. Yeah, it was. So I was down there and then we came back and was talking to the guys and we were around the pub. It was about three in the morning. I said, what happened? I said, well, 
this nutter, he's shot his grandparent or he's shot some people and then he's gone into a cafe, he's opened fire, he's shot about 20 people there and then kept going. They said, why didn't anyone stop him? Why didn't anyone shoot him? And I went, well, no one had a gun. And they looked at me and went, really? And I realised I was the only guy drinking there that didn't have a gun. Mm. (laughs) They just thought someone should have popped up and shot him because someone should have had a gun. And that was interesting that... After that, it got a lot harder to have a gun. But that was just, I remember just the look on their faces. Why didn't anyone shoot him? I said no one had a gun. I thought that crime was very interesting for another reason, because to my knowledge, that was the first major mass crime that was not really based on committing a crime. That was insanity. That was. We did have the Strathfield massacre. We had a few. Remember, that was where a guy went postal, shot about six or seven, also did a similar thing in Surrey Hills. And I wonder... But that was the emergence of these sick people. Yeah, and we had the guy that went postal down in um, Julian Knight, down in Melbourne. So it's interesting that when we had that one of 36, and some people who may hate John Howard or not, let's face it, he had the balls to go and take on the gun gun Mm. lobby, and he changed that. And we never had... We've never really had that sort of spree killing. We've seen mm. bits of it, but not to the extent that America has. Mm. But it was starting, it, there were a few mass shootings. And I don't know whether a culture changed with that. I mean, but as I said, gun crime, I mean, now there's guns everywhere. Yes, yes. But I don't know. I mean, it, it just, that was a massive turning point going down there. That was one of, one of the worst things yeah. ever. But we did have certain groups terrorising the streets of Sydney in those days. Like in the 90s, who, in, oh, in the 90s was still, um, Danny Karem, the Bayers, Kanan, all that. That was the 90s. 96, the biggest thing that happened was the establishment of the Royal Commission. Yes. Yes. That was the major turning point in crime in Australia. Do you think it really made a difference? Massively. How? It changed. It took a while. Um, The corruption was... I mean, I drank with Chuck Fowler. I I mean, all those guys. The corruption was endemic in the New South Wales Police Force. Um, And after that, it changed. It really did. I mean, now you have a police force. Like, I, I, I wrote a piece just recently where... Um, once uh, there was a, sorry, there was a detective charged with sexual assault of a woman that had gone in there, a young one, to complain that say that she'd been sexually assaulted, right? Mm. And he's then manipulated, allegedly, yeah. and ended up having sex with her. And he's been charged. Right. Is this now? Or Just now, recently. Yes. I reckon once or twice a fortnight, I'll get a press release from the media unit saying a uh, 22-year-old officer has just been charged yes. with PCA. Yeah. Point out really small. In the 80s, that woman that said that that police officer had raped her would have been charged with public mischief. Yeah. Mate, a guy, a copper pulled over driving drunk would have got a lift home and via the pizza shop. Yeah. By the, no one. So that is now what's happening. Um, that we have a lot more honest police force and that goes back to Justice Wood cleaning out. Uh, there was some very there was miscarriages of justice in that in there. There were some some coppers who got accused of things that didn't you know way beyond what they the the result. But 
it was the beginning of changing a culture. It and was. I think it changed I think it changed dramatically. I agree with you. I think it changed dramatically. But I also think that like everything else, when there's a revolution, it goes over the top. It did. Because now they charge everyone for everything. Well, that's exactly... It's ridiculous. There's no discretion. The the paranoia within the New South Wales Police Force was so uh, unbelievable that Peter Ryan, who was the, the new police commissioner brought in that nobody liked... And useless. <laughs> Although I, I used to think that, and I now think that he did things that we are now reaping benefits for. But there was a special... There was a secret squad within the, the Internal Affairs Unit that even Internal Affairs didn't know about. Yeah, well, and they followed Peter Ryan. They thought yeah. they, you know, and then they ruined the careers. I mean, if we all talk about um, Mascot, where senior police were bugged because there was this, this, they believed there was about three coppers who believed they were the only honest ones in all in New South mm. Wales. You're right. It went overboard. Overboard. There is now, and the oversight bodies now, I believe, are overboard. A complete. Complete. No one's allowed to think. You're not allowed to think. You're not allowed to have an opinion. You got to, It's a mob mentality. And and police have to be so careful. Yeah. About with, about the way they go about nearly everything. I mean, it's slanted, and that's this is a whole different um, story for another day. But I believe you go to court, everything is slanted in the defence's way. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I no, actually no. call the DPP don't prosecute police. No. Because they're so scared. No, there it is, I think. There's a difference between incompetence and slanting things. And I think what you're describing is incompetence. How can things be slanted towards the defence where you've got DNA, you've got fingerprints, you've got telephone intercepts, and even without the telephone intercepts, you've got those pa- t- um, telephone Bring tower Bring back the days things. of the good old verbal. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> See, so much Mr easier. Rogerson, you got me. I, I did, did it. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's another story for another day, Mr Rogerson. No, there's not. We'll get on. <laughs> okay, before we move on from the 90s, oh, no, let's just finish these crime waves. So after the Royal Commission, then you had in the t- early in turn of the century, it was the Darwich Gang terrorising the streets. Yeah, that was one of the, the most frightening gang wars. Let's yes. face it, um, the Darwitches and uh, what's the the Darwitches and the what was their names? I should know. I've acted for them all. So should I. Um, um, what happened with that? The fact that it, they not only were shooting um, in in streets, which is another thing which is happening all over the place now. They bought rocket launchers. Yes. Now they were going to use a rocket launcher in one of the the uh, Raggage, so, Red, the Razaks. Razaks. And that you know, I've spoken to Ken Mackay, who was involved in that. Who was I know Ken. You know Will. Ken. Well, yeah. Yeah, so do a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't called. I don't think Slasher had anything to do with the cricket nickname. Ken was very good. I he yeah. was retired. Has yeah, he is very unfortunate. It was good when he was head of that Middle East Middle Eastern organised crime. Yes. And the famous story about you know. Twelve rocket launchers went missing. That was terrifying. Now, the the war that was going on between the, these Darwiches and Razaks, one of the families had actually acquired a rocket launcher, and they were going to use it on a street. They were going to hit a house. Now, yeah. Ken McCoy said to me, 
it would have taken out eight houses, mm. right? Now, there's still 11 probably of those. Probably weren't very good houses anyway. Well, they probably matter. not, but, I mean, still shouldn't. They would have had people in them. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but then he actually organised, found out one through an informant. He went and collected that rocket launcher with another young detective yeah. who said, what are we doing? He said, oh, we're going to go and get a rocket launcher off this bloke. We're, we're sorting things out. And it was to do a discount. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. a discount on uh, one of the relatives. He's gone and collected it, put it in the back of the car, mm. and then taken it into the squad and chucked it down on the side. He said, oh, well, we've got one off the street. And it's the only one ever recovered. Yeah. Now, a police officer now would have to do a risk assessment. They have to do a risk assessment before they even pull over yeah. a driver. So those days, I mean, I, I miss those those characters, like Ken Mackay, one of mm. the, you know, there were, he he was that person that made a difference. Also, he'd get up there, maybe not the most politically correct guy when he when it was giving a speech publicly, but you would have a lot of um, young people going, I want to be like him. Yeah. Now, everything is so stage managed. They put people up who talk about, um, yes, after a protracted, you know, law enforcement, we have now uncovered 40 you know, kilos of drugs. And, you know, it's all the guys with all the, all the colours and stars. And they're the guys that have, don't know the nitty gritty of the operation. You should be putting so up. once again, the cowboy can't ride a horse. That's right. But you should be putting up the detective that spent four years, mm. the officer in charge, who knows it intimately, is probably only 35 and is the biggest bust in their life. So that young people go, I want to be like him. Instead of what they see on Instagram, there's all these guys with fast cars, heaps of money. And they want to be like them. Yeah. So the cops aren't doing an image thing. I think that's yeah. that's what's changed dramatically as well. Okay, so after the Darwich gang, we had... Brothers for Life? Yes, Brothers Farhad for Life. Kwame. Yes, another client of mine. <laughs> Farhad would... Yeah. Um, yeah. I acted for Farhad when he was acquitted of the double murder. Which was well, that was kind of good because he went on to really organise a few others after that, didn't he? <laughs> right, look. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole... Mo- I would love to do a podcast talking about the morality of defence lawyers. Um, We're very moral. Um, but, yeah, and now he was a... Uh, an, uh, he's a sociopath and the Brothers for Life. Again, again, war-torn Afghanistan. Yeah. He grew up with bombs. That's right. What happens? So, you know, what are we going to do? Not take migrants? I know. I mean, he was at the Brothers for Life and the shootings that went on there. Again, yeah. terrified Sydney. You yes. know? And what is the other big change is that you're seeing these guys spray bullets. We, we then get to the, the, the Ahmed Il, uh, Elmir War where you see yeah. one of the guys shot at midday in a shopping centre, Wally Ahmed. Now, there's a woman whose name was Darwich, but not related. She ended up getting shrapnel in her leg and was getting surgery for, for years. They were doing public shootings where they didn't care. Yeah, yeah. Now, that was what Brothers for Life started. It went on. Now it's got to the point where it's terrifying in this latest war with the Hamseys and the Alamedines where... They are shooting people in gyms. Yes. They just miss killing a whole lot of kids in a childcare centre next to a gym when they tried to take yeah. out uh, one of the rivals that they believed. Uh, they killed an innocent hairdresser who was happened to be sitting next to a target. Uh, there was one bloke, and it's horrible, he was coming out of a, a boxing match 
down at Hurstville. He looked like Ibby Hamsey. Act was getting into a car similar to the Ibby Hamsey was driving. He was shot dead. He'd come down. So the crooks, these gangs today have gone next level. Let's, the guys in the 80s were pretty much in the back of the head or last seen drinking at the Cauliflower Hotel and you'd find yes. their bones at Cornell 10 years later. Yes. So. It's all out in the open now. Nobody yeah. bothers to hide it. And, but nobody calls it for what it is either. Nobody actually gets up there and says, this is another Middle Eastern crime. This is another Islander crime. This is another whatever crime. Nobody says that. But that's what's happening. Well, that's why the Middle East, I know guys, very upset that we no longer have an Asian crime gang. We no longer have a Middle Eastern organised crime gang because politically, those names are politically incorrect. That is wrong. But likewise, and their argument will be, and it's quite correct, these crime gangs now no longer purely deal with their one ethnic... No, they don't because the Middle Eastern gang use the islanders as the muscle. That's right. But the Middle Eastern gang is still the brains of that one group. And they're linked up with the Comanchero, whose head for a long... It was... They have had some um, Australians who have... Who've led the Comanchero, even in recent time. Who now, Mark Buttle, who's, you know, allegedly been involved in, in, in running them. So, and is supposedly quite close to the Alamedans. So there's a, there's, yeah. there's cross pollination going on everywhere in crime now. But there's cross pollination going on everywhere in the world. But surely to work out some kind of fixing it, you have to look at the cause of each group and then put it together. I mean, I mean, do we legalise cocaine? And then, I mean, where would the defence lawyers get any of their money? Oh, we'd think of another way. <laughs> you find I, more clients. I've always thought drugs should be legalised. I've, th- I've always thought that. Now, before we finish up, I think we've already been through that there's very different crimes and then there's... The, the emergence of new crimes. Now, to your knowledge, when did white-collar crime emerge? Well, it's now the the way it's done. I mean, there's always been white-collar crime, hasn't there? There's guys like it was Huxley and those guys. There's been misappropriation and stealing from uh, companies for a long time yes, and but fraud. There was few of oh, now I, I think in the last ten years, the escalation of of cybercrime, yes. let's face it. I, yeah. I remember talking to, I think it was a, a, a copper now dead called Alf Pete, mm. who said to me, and this was in the late 80s, he said, we don't have legislation to prosecute anyone who does computer crime because we didn't, we haven't caught up with the fact there's computers. Yes. So it began then, but it's now escalated to the fact that cybercrime now, and then you've got cryptocurrency. I know guys yeah. that, that at the Crime Commission have to try and learn what it's all about. The crooks are evolving with this white-collar crime. Yeah. It's not white-collar, it's cybercrime. Yeah. You know, um, and it's, I'd say it's, it's, it's rocketed in the last 10, 15 years, you know. But it was, it was around, and it is. It's, it's, and it's, again, because it can be done via a computer while a guy's sitting in Kakakistan yeah, and, and empty out their bank account. Yeah. And what... Not you, to mention other cyber things like revenge porn. That is, 
an issue that we're, we're starting to, to look at seriously. Which is really the modern-day version of the jilted bloke standing in the pub in the 60s showing nude photos of his girlfriend to his mates. Well, yeah. But today, it's out there on social media for the world to see. And it's also, a, let's say, again, computer. We have the computer crime, white-collar crime. We also have the, that online being used for radicalisation Mm. of young people uh, you know i'm talking to dave hudson from heading up you know terrorism he's yeah. an expert at that he's saying we're seeing during lockdown re-emergence of, of, of a worrying trend and again terrorism has changed dramatically it used to be very small and very extreme groups like palestinian liberationists and mm. people like that um, and then we saw isis but now we're seeing on borderline we've seen it in america but here We've got the emergence of climate activists mm. who, at the moment, of public disorder, but are they going to grow into the fact where they'll start carrying out what is considered terror attacks on targets to without further a, their cause and their ideology? With my, in my view, without a doubt, because they're certainly heading that way. That's right. And it's, as I said, I'd, give me an old-fashioned, you know, armed hold-up any day. But, you know, that was a lot easier... Okay, finally, what do you see as the media's role in all this? We have got to tread a really fine line. We've we found it just recently in, in a number of ways um, where I was told, okay, there's a price on the head of Brownie Ahmed, one of the Ahmeds. Three days later, he was shot dead. You know, and we ran the story. And yeah. he knew. He knew we were running yeah. it quite new. Again, we oh, did he it. would have liked it because it made well, him media yeah. star. Tariq Sahed, the same thing. We mm. did that and he ended mm. up with 10 bullets and his yeah. brother ended up dead. Um, the, the bigger, and, and that it was concerned we've now scaled back because we've got to be careful that we're glamorising them. Yes. But I'm telling you now. But the, you've done that since the word go. Not the gangsters as much. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But we, there's a really now we do have. But could you get better looking gangsters? Well, no, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder. I mean, not big and fat people, like really good looking. All steroids, you know. Um, but I do, I, I, I worry, and, and I do, the cops, we have a bit of a problem. They sometimes get the shit, say, look, you're glamorising these guys. And I'll be really honest, if you look at now, you know, it's journalism via algorithm. Yeah. You're right? In the old days, the editor went on a hunch. We now have graphs that seeing who's reading, who's buying, yeah. And you know what happens? I, I did a story, 12 paragraphs went on the net about one of the guys involved in, he's been charged with um, being involved in a gangland hit, being belted in jail. It got 20 subscriptions. Yeah. Right? Um, the gangland war stuff that we've done, it's gone through the roof. Yeah. So people are just fascinated by it. And then our coverage of it, obviously, We've got to be careful. One, we don't taint their future trials. We're very careful about that, obviously, because yeah. there are all these lawyers ready to jump all over us if we do wrong. Um, but also glamorising. You know, I, I often joke saying that our subscription base should actually be, you know, the Crime Commission will probably try and have a go at us for proceeds of crime. That's where we're making all our money is from yeah. our crime process. It's uh, pretty interesting. Well, thank you, Mark. That was very interesting. Yeah, thank you.